Well, settle in. I really believe that you cannot, if you have ears to hear what the Lord's saying, leave this room not feeling encouraged. I, I, believe, I believe you will be encouraged by this. I believe you, you'll be strengthened by God's word. The Bible says, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. It's, it's very easy to harden your heart and for, to not benefit from the word that God sent to you. God wants to speak to you. There's been so much prophetic today already, and even in the song choices of Sam Dixon, uh, Open the Eyes of My Heart, things like that, that I refer to in my message. God needs to open our eyes. God needs to give us a heaven's eye view. God needs to help us to see life through the lens of hope that he has always. He's not a God who ever gets defeated. And his people follow hard behind him in a pathway of victory. Um, I love that scripture that Paul writes, I believe in the epistle to the Ephesians, where he says, open the eyes of my heart. I want you to open the eyes of my heart, that it would be enlightened. Pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart, that it would be enlightened to know what is the hope of your calling. And I think so, so often Christians' eyes get dimmed by the suffering of their life, and we lose that brightness of sight that gives us hope. I want to say that when we don't have hope, it's because we don't see the truth. When we're feeling hopeless, we don't see God. Hopelessness is a, is a sure sign that we don't see God. Let me just say that I want to speak today on the title that's behind me, When the Night Shines Like the Day. And the subtitle is Encountering God in Your Darkest Moments. Now, whether you're in a dark moment presently, this will help you. You will be able to reflect on it for perhaps when you've had a dark moment. And I think quite often when we emerge from dark moments, we still carry the baggage that's born of those dark moments. And we need the illumination of the Lord to come upon us so that what we've carried out of dark seasons falls off us in the light. See, I'm about to read a story from the Bible in Genesis 28, and it describes Jake, Jacob's encounter with God at a place called Bethel. Now, I was raised in a house labeled Bethel, the place where God dwells. This encounter was so life-changing for Jacob that he mentions it on his deathbed in Genesis 48, verses 3 to 4. It was an encounter that he had established his destiny in God and enabled him to journey with God from this point and fulfill his life's purposes. This was life-changing. This encounter I'm about to read about was life-changing. It birthed something of hope in Jacob that he'd not had before. He'd never had an encounter with God before. But it was at the most, listen to this, it was at the most difficult point and place in his journey so far. Don't they always say the darkest night or the darkest moment of the night precedes the dawn? It sounds really um, cheesy, but it's the truth. God has set in nature that which reflects spiritual realities. It says in Romans that his divine power, even his eternal attributes, are displayed in what has been made. And so the transition from night to day is a picture of being without God and his resources and coming into the brightness of the one who is light with all of his resources and all of his capacity to fill us with vision and hope. But Jacob, in the crucible of his suffering, in a difficult and distressed place on his journey, had an encounter with God that changed the direction of his life. And I believe God wants to speak directly into some people's hearts today. 
Some people in this room will be. I believe this, otherwise God wouldn't have given it me on Friday. That you're in a very dark place presently and you cannot see a way through. Let me say this, and this is a spoiler alert. God, it's your word, God is on a journey. Everything you said, I just did my word, John. (laughs) God is nearer than you think. Hello. God is nearer than you think. Your perspective may not be reality. And your breakthrough is wrapped up in the hostile context of your life. Just because it's screwy, just because it's messy, just because it's dark, doesn't mean God has left you or that God is not at work in you. Hallelujah. In fact, they're the places God most often changes us. God is reshaping so many people, so many churches, so many organizations, so many structures in this season that we would be amazed if we could possibly see the good things that God has prepared for us. Now, I'm not trying to whoop up a crowd here. This is not something that I hope makes you happy and that you leave feeling encouraged. I believe it with all my heart that God has good things stirred up, not just for the world, but for this local congregation. I believe God has good things stored up for every single person in this room. I believe God is, and here's a deep theological point, don't miss it now, God is good. What was the first thing the priest dedicating the temple of Solomon encountered in the glory of God when the priest couldn't stand to minister? What was the first thing they encountered when they bumped into God? What was the first thing they said? The Lord our God is good. And his mercy endures to all generations. For the Lord our God is good. God says to Moses, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. God in his essence is entirely good. And if we can possibly just grasp that bit at the beginning of this message, you would have hope. Because you are not abandoned to the chaos that the world is suffering at the moment. You are under the mighty hand of a great chess player. And he is causing all things. Come on, finish the sentence with me, church. You know this Romans 8, 28 verse. He is causing all things to work together For the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes. It says all things. Not just the small things or the good things or the nice things or the things you like. Personal theological preferences. Nice times with God in your quiet time. He's causing the bad stuff. To work together for your good. Isn't he amazing? We're not even into the reading yet. Listen, church, you would be amazed if you saw the good things that God has stored up for his people. I really believe in a future outpouring of the Holy Ghost that is the greatest move of God we've ever seen in human history. I believe it is so big that there is no one disqualified from ministry in this room. You might think you've retired, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to be needed to disciple the babies that will come in en masse. Let me read 
Genesis 28, verses 10 to 17, Jacob's dream at Bethel. Forgive me, Israel travelers, for not saying Beersheba right. Thank you, Mother. Beersheba. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Verse 11, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones, <laughs> he put his head on it and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Listen to this for promise. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. If it doesn't get better than that, it starts to get even better than that. Verse 15, I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. That's an important phrase. He was afraid to say how, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This was a dark night for Jacob, but he was about to have a dawn. For believers who are suffering in this room today, for believers who've suffered in life recently or over the COVID landscape, and I don't mean this, please forgive me if this is, comes over as flippant and without the experience you've been through, but it's meant with love. When, when God appears far away from you, when life is at its darkest, I want to say, and this is meant with love, that you're at the place where you are most ripe, you're at the ripest state to hear God speak to you. It is not the sunshiny days that you find out who God is or who you are. It's in the shadowlands. Like Jacob, you may feel alone today. You may feel guilty. Jacob felt all these things. You may feel distressed. Jacob felt distressed. You may feel that you have no sense of the presence of God as you once did. Jacob certainly felt distant from the God of his father and grandfather. But these are the times, church, these are the times when you feel the driest, when you feel the worst, when life's really kicking you, that God is about to Break out of your life if you'll give him room. These are the times when God is most glorified. These are the times when God can be praised for the God of the breakthrough breaks into your life. These are prime times for a God encounter. These are the times when God can ensure that life doesn't chew you up and spit you out and that all you can finish with in your hands is praise the Lord, O my soul, and bless his holy name. Look what the Lord has done. You see, you can never take praise when you emerge from the shadowlands because you didn't do it. Impossible situations mean God has to come in. And if God doesn't come in, we're ruined. 
And maybe church, that's why the church of Jesus Christ across the nations has been put under so much stress in this season that it learns again that without God it can do nothing. For those who are unfamiliar with the Bible, that's what Jesus said in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the church is learning again, we need the Lord. We can't do ministry without God. We can't build church without God. Jesus said, I'll build my church. We can't reach nations without God's resources. We can't heal the sick without God's power. We can't cast out demons without the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord. Is anyone hearing this? See, Jacob's position was that he was feeling like he was going to be chewed up and spat out by the landscape. The landscape of Jacob's life was so hostile in this moment that we've read about that he is feeling completely threatened by it. At any moment, Jacob could have had his brother Esau turn up and kill him. So he slept with one eye open. He was hunted down. Be like David and Saul, Saul throwing speech. People who God sets up to serve him can sometimes be the hunted. He slept with one eye open. Jacob was ill-equipped in this context. He wasn't Bear grills. He wasn't eating locusts and wild honey like John the Baptist. He was a mummy's boy. He was used to home comforts. Do you know, he was about, scholars say he was about 500 miles away from his comfortable home and family. Of his inherited faith, of his parents and his grandparents. And here he is, on his own, away from his family, about the distance between Cornwall and Inverness, at the top, you know, Land's End to Inverness, it's about 480 miles from that, that distance. He's about that far away from his family, on his own, without any public transport, without any modern telecommunication devices, and he sat there in an arid pasture land thinking, I could be killed today. Today I could be killed. Because my brother Esau is well hard. We're watching the pre-match thing. You're saying commiserations to Liverpool fans in this room. It's amazing I can say that as a Man United fan, but I was rooting for Liverpool yesterday. In, in, in that setting, we were watching the pre-match stuff, me and Rachel, and uh, footballers are proper blokes, aren't they? I said to them, put them with the rugby players, love. <laughs> Esau would have played for Wigan. He'd have, been, he'd have been rucking and mauling and getting stood on his head and still getting up and smiling. Jacob was more like somewhere in an Armani suit, a metrosexual guy, drinking a, a, a special gingerbread latte in the sunshine with his shades on. He, he, he wasn't used to the rough and tumble of life. And he felt vulnerable. He wasn't just in threat with his brother killing him. He was in threat of wild animals. He was in threat of robbers. Do you remember Luke 10.30 where Jesus said about the story of the Good Samaritan and the, they beat him and left him bleeding and dying? And this was a hostile environment. And he was terrified and he felt vulnerable. This is the context of our story. And verse 11 says, <laughs> this wasn't enough. When he reached a certain place, if it wasn't screwy enough, then the sun set on him. And darkness covered the landscape that was already hostile and he couldn't see where he was going. He had to stop. He was forced to stop. And he didn't have his pillow in his specially designed rucksack. 
or roll mat there, he put his head on a rock. It's all he had in his hands. He was forced to face up to the fact that I have only these resources. I feel vulnerable, alone, distressed, disconnected. And at this place, I'm now sat in the darkness, sleeping with my eye open. I just want to say, some people in this room will be feeling that pressured. Otherwise, God would have never given me this room. They've given me this word for this room. It's been a tough few years for so many people. And the devil has had a field day with the disconnect that COVID has wrought. Well, just listen, church. Just because the sun has set over your life and in your journey, just because we cannot see the way forward in particular circumstances, just because we feel vulnerable, and you may feel vulnerable today, just because we are outside of our comfort zone doesn't mean, and I've said it earlier, that God has abandoned you. God has not abandoned us. He never abandons his people. We'll see that again and again. God was at work in Jacob the trickster and wanted him all for himself. You see, the morality of Jacob in this dark place was that he would have been face to face, not just with his need for God, but he would have been face to face with his own immorality. He would have realized that I did wrong by my brother Esau. And he would have realized that he needed to get right with his brother. And this is what God does. He puts us in a place which is difficult to face up not only for our need for God, but also our brokenness inside. It's a difficult landscape, detached from his family, haunted and hurting. He was brought to a stillness in a dark place that prohibited his progress. This was used by God in this moment, and this is the thing that the Lord burned into me as I'm typing. Listen to this, church. In this moment, even the darkness was light to God. Just read that verse behind me. Even the darkness will not be dark. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, this is the difference between people and God. This is the difference between people and God. We sit there hopeless in the shadowlands of our experience and think, where's God? How am I going to get through this? My life is full of problems. I'm burdened by this. This person said that. I've got a hopeless perspective. And God breaks into that moment and sits with us in the dust of our journey. (laughs) And he says, do you not realize that I'm light? The Bible says God is light. And a person who has a connection with the divine can sit in the shadow lands like Daniel in the lion's den or Jonah in the whale who reached out in chapter 2 of Jonah praying to God and suddenly the light breaks into the dark shadow lands of the experience. Put your hands up if you experience God in the darkness. I I remember occasion, I was going to say, when Dad was poorly in his police time, and I, I was really worried about his health at that time. So I got on my knees and I cried out to God from the bottom of my heart. Have you ever done one of them prayers? Said, so, so don't take him now. I'm, I'm not ready, Lord. It was a tough time. And I saw a series of visions in my mind of everything that would happen to my dad through his life journey. So I'm getting honored in the police journey. I saw him with loads of grandkids. He had none at the time. I saw lots of things. But what I'm saying to you, and the reason I'm giving that, I hope dad doesn't mind me saying this, is, When we're in our dark place, it's important to cry out to God. 
And don't let, like Jacob in another story, don't let God go until he blesses you. Until he speaks into your life journey. We, we waited 11 years for children. And I often have people to come and pray for me so that we can have children. I have people call me from other nations to pray. You hear God. Tell me what the Lord's saying. Somebody did that from another nation. I'll not mention the nation, just in case you know the person. And then I told them about leadership problems in the church and other things that were going on that meant that they had to leave the church. <laughs> they'd, asked, they'd phone me up and asked if she was going to have a baby. That's what they really wanted me to prophesy. And I didn't know that. They said, what's God saying? And I told them what was going on. They ended up leaving the church. My point is this, that when people ask me about babies, I don't say, oh, let me pray for you then. And I'm sure the Lord will bless you with children. What I say to the people usually is, what's the Lord said to you? Because it's their journey with God. And they have to cry out to the Lord in their trauma and ask the Lord, what do you want for my life and family? Because when we were going through it, I, I, God spoke to me. But I pressed in until he spoke to me. And so it's very easy in a Christian context to press on to other people our life experience with a trial that's similar but in the shadowlands, we have to hear God. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? That makes sense. I think so often we can, we can dispense advice as Pentecostal believers because God did it for us that way in our similar circumstance. And the key to it is, what is God saying to you now where you are? That's your discipleship journey. Just because the sun has set, just because we can't see the way forward, just because we feel vulnerable, just because we're outside of our comfort zone doesn't mean God has abandoned us. God moves in the shadow lines. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. Can you imagine that? It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to God. The dark time you're in church, it's a blazing light to God. It's not meant to be flippantness. It's just a God who sees with an eternal perspective. He can see the way through. He has the highest vantage point from an eternal perspective. He knows what he's planning for you. I, I saw my brother Tom McClelland, um, he put it on Facebook so it's gone public, saying he didn't understand why God, and this is his journey, we can't press this on other people who, are, who have a similar journey, why God allowed Jeannie to suffer the way she did. She had severe dementia. She had um, COVID towards the end. He didn't know why he'd suffered so tremendously with Jeannie. And his revelation on his discipleship journey, which he put publicly on Facebook, was that the Lord was showing him how to love people and tenderize in his heart. That's what God had shown him. It's very brave of him to share that publicly. And he thanked the Lord for teaching him how to love and how to love again through his suffering. Why am I sharing this with you? Because I can't speak from that perspective. He suffered more. You suffered more, some of you in this room. But you know what God said to you in the shadowlands. You know what God is saying to you now. Let it be comfort to you. Let it be direction to you. The dark time you're in is blazing light to God because he sees from an eternal perspective. We, we just need as Christians to learn to trust God which is a very easy sentence that's difficult to achieve because he's at work right now in relationships, in this church, in his global church, in moving towards the second advent of his son, the Lord is at work. Do you see lots of people getting lost in end times teaching that doesn't help them now? 
in conspiracy contentions that may or may not be right, that don't help them now. It's, it's all gone quiet. <laughs> People are getting lost in rabbit holes. But I want to say that God is at work in all of it. God is at work in the nations. God is still on the throne. And your world may be turbulent as the wider world has been, but God is working brilliantly on your behalf. Sometimes, church, we need to detoxify our thinking. Does anyone know um, of the brain physician who wrote, who switched off your brain? It's a female brain, brain, she basically talks a lot about detoxifying your brain and learning to think differently. So a lot of Christians are in a place of hopelessness, which is counter to faith. It's like toxins in the brain. Um, instead of looking at the darkness that surrounds the Christian, the Lord wants us to see that the Lord surrounds us. The Lord's, Lord, I'm trying to remember the woman's name because she wasn't in my notes. It'll come part way through. And then you'll know with the book who switched off my brain is by. If you know it, whisper it. The darkness that surrounds you needs to be replaced in your thinking with the knowledge that God surrounds you. You see, we're leaning on those negative thoughts rather than leaning on the Lord. But Jacob himself learned this in this moment. He wasn't leaning on God in this moment of his journey. His, his faith was rooted in the experience of his ancestors. In his, great, in his famous grandfather, Abraham, and his father, Isaac, who'd encountered God. And he didn't have a faith for himself. He lent on his own resources like the pillow to survive. Temptation in this dark time is to fix it ourselves. And some things we can't fix. Only God can do it. Verse 11b says, taking out the stones there, he put his head and he lay down to sleep. God was taking Jacob to the extreme place of discomfort in order to point him towards himself and his heavenly resources. The uncomfortable place that you're in right now is a place of learning where God is trying to teach you how to rest and lean into God. Not lean on your own resources like Jacob on the pillow, but lean into God. Because for some of you, you can do nothing else. You can't, you can't sort it yourself. You cannot see a way forward. And this is a crucial time where you'll learn to step up in faith and see that God comes through for you. Did anyone hear that? In order for this to happen, you just have to stop. Sometimes you just have to stop. And know that your resources are inadequate to sort the mess. And just wait on God. These are the times when you just have to let go and let God. Have you ever heard that phrase? Let go and let God. This is the place he's trying to get the church to right now. This is a now word. This is the place where God is trying to get the church to a place of God dependence. In the past, I think before COVID, we've done things sometimes by the strength of our own arm. And Jacob was a manipulator. Jacob was a deceiver, a usurper. He did things by the strength of his own arm. But in this moment, he realized that he couldn't cut a deal. He couldn't be smooth-tongued. He couldn't make things happen the way he wanted it, like he'd done in deceiving his brother Esau and his father. This wasn't something he could sort out. And worse than that, he was in a posture of sleep, so he was almost anesthetized, unable to manipulate. God had to lay him down into a position where he could do nothing to sort the mess out. And some of your greatest breakthroughs in your life, for us it was wanting a family, for others it's darker and harder things. There are some times when you cannot fix it. And these are the opportunities for God to break in. If you're the person that likes to get things done, type A, I can sort this, I know, I know how to make things happen. Let me tell you this, you won't encounter God like that. 
You won't encounter God like that. I can say that because I'm one of those types of people. So, okay? You, you, if you're a fix-it person, if you want to make things happen, if you want to sort it out, you'll not encounter God like that. In the next phase of church history, fleshly competence will not suffice. We're being moved, the church of Jesus Christ globally is being moved from a place of fleshly slickness to a place of God dependence. This is what's going on in Jacob's journey. The new posture of the church is deeply spiritual that God has taken us to. It's the bride that has learned not to lean on a rock of his own resources. It's the bride that has learned to lean on their husband, the bridegroom. It's the bride that has learned to lean on her beloved. Do you see the scripture in Song of Solomon 8.5? It says, who is this? coming out from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. Who is this coming out from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? That's the purpose of everything the church is going, of everything you're going through right now that is challenging you. What God is trying to do from an eternal perspective is teach you and I to lean on the Lord, to lean fully on the Lord, to lean passionately on the Lord. Do you know that verse in Song of Solomon is about a lover and a beloved? I think quite often the church doesn't benefit from the full resources of heaven because like Jacob, it's pulled out its stone pillow and said, I can fix it, Lord. I, I can sort this mess out. I can sort my heart out. I can sort the relationship out. I can sort my job out. And the Lord's saying, when was the last time you lent on your beloved? When, the, when was the last time that I was your beloved? When was the last time that I was your first love? When was the last time that you were preoccupied and fascinated with me, like the psalmist said, on the night watches, I remember you. Early in the morning, I praise you. There's a difference between us and these writers, isn't there? There are writers in the Bible, they're such lovers that they can't stop thinking about God. They're obsessed, they're in love, they marvel, they gaze. God is wanting to get us that. That's where heaven's resources begin to flow. You see, the future for you and the future for the church in God's economy is to have a connection of God flowing through our lives out of intimacy where we've learned to lean on his strength as lovers of our creator. Verse 12 said that Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Notice church before you fall asleep, some of you look like a bit tired, you must be watching the game late last night, as I was. (laughs) Can't believe I was supporting Liverpool. Notice, please, that the angels of God in this verse were ascending and descending on the stairway. Now, surely, in this stairway to heaven, angels should have come down from heaven to Jacob. They should not be going up from earth to heaven and heaven to earth. There is something very significant in this moment for Jacob in angels ascending as well as descending. And this is the thing, this is the key part of Jacob's revelation, and this is a key part of this message for you. Church, this shows that the angels of God were with him already. They were ascending as well as descending. They were coming from earth to heaven, as well as from heaven to earth. And it reminded me when I read this of 2 Kings 6 where the blind Arameans, Arameans <laughs> are dealt with by Elisha the prophet. And in that context, 
There are two men. There is Elisha in 2 Kings 6, and there is his servant. And one of the men sees with God's eyes, and the other one sees with human eyes. And the man of God has to say to the fleshly assistant, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And Elisha prayed, here we go, Sam Dixon, good choice. Open the eyes of my servant that he will see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw that the hills were so full of horses and chariots of fire all around this hopeless situation. I want to say to you, whatever situation you're in, the angels of God, according to Psalm 91, according to Hebrews, the only part of Hebrews as well, the angels of God are sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. God has dispatched angels on your behalf. Never mind his own personal presence. The passage in the story of Jacob goes up and the Lord stands above them. It wasn't just that they were ascending and descending, that God was seeing things and he was above Jacob. In the Hebrew, it might mean that he stood over in the dream. And healing crusade and meeting and equipping his church, 2nd of July. And he was a policeman. Policemen make good elders and pastors. They do. They know the difference between right and wrong. And they're fastidious about truth. And he was telling me a story because we were just having some chat and talking about how we like Tyson Fury, the boxer. Forgive me if you don't like boxing. And he told me a story about a bunch of travelers who'd had a machete fight near its rough in parts of Stoke. And he'd been sent by his sergeant with another policeman to go and empty the pub. They'd had the machete fight the week before. So he walks in with his police colleague and the travelers, they make great evangelists, by the way, travelers. Most travelers I've met are brilliant evangelists when they get saved surrounded my friend who's now a pastor and his colleague and the guy with who's had a machete cut from across his face like this comes up to me says do you want to know how I got this and my friend said I don't really want to know that I'm a bit busy and he goes to the bar and he's he's trying to work a way to get them all out of the pub because that's what he's been tasked with wants to shut down the pub get them out and he skulks out just with, without getting beaten up with this other policeman outside and radios his sergeant and says I can't clear the pub the sergeant is so incensed that he, falls he phones up and radios every cop that is free and available in the town that he can get his hands on 
and sends down two seriously scary police dogs as well so that the police all line the streets, all blue twos and blues, all the cars up the street, all the policemen either side, and these two dogs. Now, my friend told me this story like this. He said, there's one of the two dogs who's got medals for bravery. I don't know how you get a dog. I don't even know that happens. Apparently, <laughs> there you go, very good duel. <laughs> but for the, for the medal on Shaker Paul, well done, great, congratulations. <laughs> I had funny visions when he was telling me this. But apparently this one dog, when he comes on the scene, he's that fierce that all the policemen just get back in the car. So they had this savage thing on a lead. And another one there, and all the police down the street. And so with new boldness, my pastor friend walks in with his friend and says, you lot, out! They decide to approach him as though they're going to have conflict and fisticuffs with him. And he swings open the doors and they can see all the way up the street all the police lights and cars and the two serious dogs. And apparently the, the, the travellers just do this and walk up the street, <laughs> 40 of them, and out of the way, kind of shyly nodding at the police. <laughs> you see, this is a picture of what stands behind you in terms of your heavenly resources as with Elisha. You see, every Christian has authority. Not every Christian has power. Let me explain that statement. You have positional authority in Christ, far above all real authority. Every demon is subject to you, including Satan himself, in Christ. I've seen it so many times in a deliverance setting. The demons know what Jesus has achieved more than the church. But not every Christian has power because power is forged in the place of intimacy that's why jesus said wait till power comes upon you from on high then you'll be my witnesses power comes on the christian from drawing close to god not leaning on the rocky resources of our own ability but leaning on our beloved in intimacy and power also comes from the whole of heaven's resources behind you power is not a feeling we don't have to feel powerful power comes when we draw near to him. I remember being in the Green Hill, maybe Jeanette will remember this story. We were at Winter Wonderland event and a, a couple came over, over me. Because I know about the resources we have beyond ourselves. I've learned to lean by faith into that second realm, the other realm of God, spirit realm. And I said to them a short explanation of who I was, short explanation of the gospel. They kind of were a bit irritated and didn't want to talk to me. I said, what does God need to do for you to show you that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, that he's really loves you, wants a relationship with you? What does God have to do to you to come through? And forgive me if you've heard this story before. The father was quick. He said, my daughter, who was kind of this, this height, I don't know how old, she, she's, she's mute, she can't speak. And we're poor. We don't have any resources for Christmas presents. I said, let me pray. Prayed a simple prayer. Felt no power. Politely walked off. They kind of went, you know, maybe, maybe thought I, I was a bit weird, but they were polite enough. We stood in the hallway. Les may have seen this. Rachel certainly saw this. Remember? Hallway of the Green Hill. The father comes over to me with a pale face. So said, what's the matter? He said, a set time, I can't remember what it was, like 10 minutes after you left, somebody came in and gave me, at the end of the evening, a full 
tray of plasticine and said, give this to the children for Christmas. And a bag full of teddy bears. Give this to the children for Christmas. Prayer one answered. We need the Lord to show that he, he can provide for Christmas presents. He said, but that, that's not it. So my daughter is now running around that hall in the, low, in the smaller room, shouting and talking. That happened to me in high school in Skem. Somebody was mute. I spoke to the head teacher. He said, yes, he's mute. And then he spoke again. First word he said, do you know his first word was? Jesus. He said, you're going to speak today, friend. And the first word you say is going to be Jesus. Is that okay? And he went. And it was the deepest Barry, Barry White voice I've ever heard from a teenager. Jesus. And all the kids, like they were doing street dance, kind of moved back around him. They'd never heard their friend speak. Why do I tell you these stories? Because in the invisible realm, there is so much available to you and for you in God, if you press into God, to release heaven into your circumstances. The angels of God were ascending and descending upon Jacob. The angels were with him already. God commands his angels concerning you, that car crash that you could have been in, where you were like a mile down the road after it. God protected you. I remember falling fall off a climbing frame as a kid. I mean, this might explain a few things. There's, there's, there's no way my head shouldn't be smashed on the concrete. God looks after those who are his. He shall command his angels. When you were in the riots and... He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. Petrol bombs going out. And they started to want to go out with him. He doesn't get hurt. Everyone he takes out, they come back safe. He's a great God. And the people of this world need to see people of faith, not people who are retiring and like this and under a weight because circumstances have told them that God has abandoned them. Because faith is not a feeling. The most, most, and the biggest miracles I've seen in my life have never had feelings with them. I felt nothing. I heard nothing. I just saw God move because I believed his word. Is, is, is this okay to just preach a little bit longer? So that's a key part of the revelation that God is with you. God is for you. And above your life stands the Lord as he did for Jacob, even in your dark times, the Lord will make the night shine like day for you and darkness as light to you. And I'll close with this. It says that this, uh, focus on this section, it says that God spoke to Jacob. You see, he needed God to grasp him in this dark place to find out that God was blazing light. And this is what God did. He didn't just come to him and reveal heaven to him. He said this, I'm the Lord introducing himself, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will be with you and your descendants in the land with which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through your offspring. I want to say to you, imagine God coming to you and telling you that you are going to have a global impact. What a promise. The problem with Jacob is he's not someone you'd expect God to use. This is where we all kind of need to sit up in our seats and think, man, God can use me too. Because the church rejects what God accepts. 
The church, here's another one, is more judgmental, we need to watch our own hearts with this, than the Lord himself. Preaching to myself as well as to you. You see, God, there, there are no perfect people. And the fact that God uses Jacob should fill us with hope. The fact that God wanted to use this tricky personality, in a, and I'm not saying integrity is not important, but God uses who he will use. Think about Tyson Fury. He's, he's a true believer, but he puts out a lot of words that I would not use. He's not quite sanctified yet. He'd make a good evangelist, not maybe a pastoral example. But you know, God sanctifies soil for his holy purposes. He'll use who will use, and that's his business. And God didn't just promise him a global ministry. He said, I'll be with you, and I'll go with you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I promised. Some of you who feel abandoned by God and detached from his purposes, God says, I'll not leave you until I've done what I've promised. Can you think about that for your life? Wherever you go? It'd be nice if we had that promise directly from the Lord, wouldn't it? I'll never leave you or forsake you. It'd be nice if we had that promise somewhere in the scriptures, wouldn't it? Oh, hello, we do. It says at the end of Matthew 28, I am with you always. <laughs> Preaching dad's message for Tuesday. Even to the end of the age. You see, church, and I'll finish with this for the second time saying that. It's very easy to believe the devil's war propaganda. President Putin and his regime are putting stuff out there that is deceiving the precious Russian people. Those who are not guilty of war crimes, those who don't know what the truth is, those who have media invasion in Russia and things barred. It's typical of all these regimes that dominate and control. Putin and his regime has been purported to tell lies, war propaganda. This is how the devil works with the Christian. They'll come as your own thoughts. They'll come as other people's opinions pressed on you. And the devil will try and twist your thinking to think differently to the Lord. God wants us to get into a place where our thinking lines up with his thinking, where our hope is as big as his hope, where our joy reflects his joy, because joy comes in the morning. When we find an encounter with the Lord, as Jacob did, God will bring heaven to earth for us. See, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And I want to say this, church. Right now, whether you feel it or not, we are presently in an awesome place. I'm not talking about a geographical locale. I'm not discounting what you're going through. But I would say definitely to those who are suffering emotionally, and contextually, 
experientially, that is right where God is. He didn't cause it. He didn't cause the wild animals or the robbers or the shadowy night, to use Jacob's illustration. He didn't put those pressures on you. They come from another source, but he allowed them. And he allowed them to forge in you a change in you that made you effective for the next phase because God thinks in an eternal perspective, doesn't he? And for the Christian, we can always say the best is yet to come. It's always true, whatever we're going through. It may feel like you've been abandoned. It may feel that you can't see the sunrise yet, but it's a reality nonetheless. God has not abandoned his church. He does not intend defeat for us, only victory. And God is right here, right now with us in the situation, although it's uncomfortable, because God is a God who moves in the mess and he's bringing good our way. The Sunrise Church, and I've said this for the last few years, is coming. The light is about to dawn, Jim's prayer. Hang in there. May I remind you, I've finished my message now of the prophecy that I gave beginning of 2020, middle of 2020, and recently they have been proven to be true. Beginning of 2020, the Lord said that this, we would go into a place of the hidden ones, we'd be shaped in the shadows, launched in the light. In June of 2020, I said that we would be moving back to a trickle of normality in 2022, and in 2023, we'd be flowing again. Do you remember that? It's proven to be true. I didn't know anything about virology or epidemiology or the landscape politically. I didn't understand, but I knew I'd heard the Lord. And I want to say, say this to you, not to, to sort of show off prophetic prowess, but to give you hope that the place we're going is good. The future is bright. Every Christian leader I speak to, large or small, big network, small churches, they've suffered in this season, quite unlike any other season they've been through. They've been kicked on every side, the devil's tried to shut down churches, tried to kill ministries, tried to destroy people. But I want to say with hope, God is at work and his church will rise, beautiful and radiant. She will be able to kiss Jesus at the altar. She will have the full measure of the stature of Christ. She will be glorious. And we, I believe Jim Amish was spot on this one, I believe we will see the bride rise up in our generation. We may even see the return of the Lord. It's that serious a time. So does that fill you with a sense of purpose, sense of hope? It means that everything that you do is important and that God wants the best for your life. Amen.